Good evening. Thank you all so much for coming out in the midst of such a busy week with kids camp going on and other summer activities. My name is Kate Tokar, and I'm so glad to be here with you all tonight to continue our study on these amazing women from the Old Testament and how their relationships with God made a dramatic difference in their lives. So far, we have seen two very opposite ends of the spectrum of the, thir- the first three of these good, bad, and beautiful women that we've studied. Tonight, we are going to study a beautiful and wise woman named Abigail. She used her wisdom and courage to save the day. My husband and I live out in Alito, and we have two wonderful daughters. One is 14 and one is 12, and I get the privilege of homeschooling them. So we spend a significant amount of time together, and I love it. And I get to have a lot of influence in their lives as their mom. And I'm so thankful for that most of the time because I hope that most of it's for good, but there's definitely some bad mixed in there. So I'm so thankful for God's grace and mercy and his word that can teach them how to really live. As I was thinking about the influence that I have on my kids, I thought back on the influences I had when I was young. And if I could have just mastered what they were teaching me, it would have ensured my lifelong happiness. They were really important things like being cool and fitting in with all the popular kids. And I also had a lot of influences telling me how to act around boys. And I can assure you that I have since figured out that those people did not know what they were talking about at all. But when I was about 16, I had a good friend on my basketball team who had a very positive influence in my life. She asked me if I had ever had a quiet time, and I told her I had no idea what that was. It sounded nice, but I didn't know what it was. And she said it just meant reading your Bible and spending time with God. So I went and bought a Bible, and I started reading, and I could not get enough of it. I realized for the first time that it was not completely boring and a waste of time like I had previously thought. I love how God uses his word to transform our lives, to encourage us, to protect us from sin, to teach us about him, to mature us, so many good things. And because of my friend's relationship with God, her influence had a positive lifelong impact on me. Tonight, we're going to see how Abigail's relationship with God gave her the ability to be a powerful, positive influence on King David. So let's get started. Please open your Bible, if it's not already, to 1 Samuel 25, and we're going to just start with verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. So Samuel, who's mentioned in verse 1, had died, and Israel was in mourning. Samuel was a judge appointed by God to turn his people Israel back to God and toward repentance. If you studied Exodus with us back in the fall, you might remember that God used Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, and then Joshua followed as the next leader to lead the people into the promised land. After Joshua, God used judges to then try to lead the people back to God. If you were here last week, you learned about Deborah. Deborah was the only woman judge, and she had a very intimate relationship with God and wholeheartedly followed him. So Samuel was the very last of these judges, and he was a very faithful one. He loved, followed, and fully obeyed God. But you see, after Samuel had gotten older, the Israelites decided that they needed and wanted a king because we often know what's best for us, right? 
Samuel was so heavy-hearted because he knew that following a person instead of God as their king was a terrible decision. Earlier in 1 Samuel, God said that Israel's desire for a king was because they had rejected God as their king. So God appointed a man named Saul to be the first king of Israel. Okay, let's get back to our text before I give you the entire history of 1 Samuel. Um, Let's continue reading verses 2 and 3. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in man whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. So here we read about a woman named Abigail and her wealthy but very foolish husband, Nabal. Abigail was beautiful and wise, but in that culture, marriages were arranged, and sadly, hers was to an imprudent man. Nabal and Abigail were Israelites living in Maon, which is in Israel just west of the Dead Sea. We learn here that Nabal was a Calebite, which just means he was a descendant of Caleb. Caleb was from the tribe of Judah, which was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he was a very devoted man who loved and obeyed God. However, Nabal did not follow in his footsteps. Okay, so remember I told you just a couple of minutes ago that God appointed Saul to be the first king. Let's take a look at your verse sheet and see how he did as king. 1 Samuel 15, 11, we read God saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Because of Saul's disobedience, God decided to find a new king. He directed Samuel to anoint a shepherd boy who was only 12 years old, and he was the youngest of seven brothers. His name was David. On your verse sheet, Acts 13.22 tells us that God said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Samuel went to David and anointed him king at the ripe old age of 12, and God filled him with the Holy Spirit. God was definitely the king of David's life, and God used all the years between the time that David was anointed king as a shepherd until he became king years later to prepare him for being a leader that was obedient to God. So let's fast forward some years, and we find David and 600 men who were his followers hiding in the wilderness from King Saul. Saul wanted to kill David because he was extremely jealous of him. David was the anointed king who had not yet taken the throne because he was patiently and obediently waiting for God to remove Saul from the throne. If you read on in the next chapter, and if you'd like to turn there, you can. It's um, 1 Samuel 26. It's the second part of verse 9 through the first part of verse 11. David explained here why he refused to kill Saul and take the throne. Who can put his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die. Or he will go into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Okay, so let's go to the next section and read verses 4 through 8. 
David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. So during their time in the wilderness, David and his men had protected Nabal's shepherds and flocks from animal predators as well as raiding bandits. They did such a good job that not even one of the animals was lost. So think about being in the wilderness and it's getting dark and you don't have a flashlight or pepper spray. It would be really comforting to have this wall of protection around you both during the day and at night. David and his men had done a great service to Nabal because by safeguarding his animals and workers, they had helped protect his fortune. So David is trying to provide for 600 people that are on the move, and this would have been no easy task. Because he had grown up being a shepherd, he knew that sheep shearing time was a time of great feasting and merriment. George Mackey, in his Bible Manners and Customs book, paints a wonderful picture of this time of year. The shepherd's season of rejoicing is at the time of sheep shearing in May and June. The flocks have been increased by the season's lambs. Milk, butter, and cheese are abundant. I think we would have all liked this time of year, wouldn't we? Pasture is still plentiful for those who know where to seek it, and the warm summer weather makes outdoor life delightful by day and by night. So David knew that this would be an ideal time to request provisions from Nabal. Now, asking for, a large, for food for a large group of people may sound very odd to us. However, in their culture, it wouldn't have been unusual. They were, they were a very hospitable culture, especially during sheep shearing time. Not only that, but David and his men had done a great service to Nabal by watching over his sheep. So David sent a small group of his men to humbly ask Nabal to kindly give some food to David and his men. They did not threaten Nabal or just go and take it because they were certainly powerful enough to do that. David directed his men to very humbly talk to Nabal. And David referred to himself as your son, David, not the great and powerful future King David. So let's see how Nabal responded in verses 9 through 13. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all of this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while, the, while 200 remained with the baggage. So Nabal responded horribly. He immediately mocked David and scoffed at his men, despite knowing who he was and being perfectly capable of feeding them. He dismissed David's humility. Nabal says, who is this son of Jesse? And he calls David a runaway servant. 
Nabal refused the men food and even water. Nabal's foolish response to David's men asking for food was a huge insult not only to David, but also to God because David was God's anointed shepherd to lead his people. This gives us a glimpse into Nabal's heart and we see that he did not acknowledge or follow God. So we have a serious disaster in the making. So David's 10 men returned to camp in the wilderness and reported to David what Nabal had said. David reacted to Nabal's insult and became enraged and planned revenge. So was Nabal's response offensive? Yes, absolutely. Was it worth murdering for? No, it was not. The Ten Commandments are very clear. They say, do not murder. Um, on your verse sheet in Ecclesiastes 7:9, Solomon wrote, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the laps of fools. As the future king of Israel, David needed to be obedient to God and put God's plan and will above his own. Look at your verse sheet, please, and let's see God's desire for both his people and their king to obey him. 1 Samuel 12, 14 and 15. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And God also directs us not to retaliate. In Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians in verse 515 on your verse sheet, see to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So it's clear that unlike the time David boldly walked before the giant Philistine Goliath, he was there to fight God's battle. This was a personal affront to David, and he had taken matters into his own hands. So before we move on, let's take a moment and think of how we can apply this situation to our lives. You and I are not likely to be in the same circumstances as David, but we have other situations in our daily lives where we are tempted to grow angry and retaliate. It might be in your friendships, your marriage, relationships with your children, coworkers, or family, or maybe it's just at Walmart or while driving. John Piper recently addressed retaliation specifically in marriage when he answered a question from a woman asking how to honor God when she had been hurt by her husband. Dr. Piper said, What I have found in my marriage is that the battle for holiness more than I ever thought it would centered on the struggle to avoid sinning in response to being sinned against. I did not expect this. I think this is a common battle in marriage as Christians who want to bring their lives into complete conformity to the teaching of Scripture and engage in the great battle for holiness. So despite the difficulty, we must intentionally choose not to retaliate with sin, whether it's in response to someone wise that we love or someone foolish that God has put in our lives. In either circumstance, he wants us to do good, good to others rather than repay evil for evil. This is so hard, and it definitely goes against what the world teaches, that we should fight for justice for ourselves. However, any time we are thinking of ways to make things right for ourselves or to get even because we were offended, we are thinking with the wrong attitude. God wants you and I to avoid sinning against others when they sin against us. 
Okay, so we've seen Nabal's unwise response to David by denying him food. Now let's take a look at Abigail's wise response. Let's read verses 14 through 19. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So Abigail responded wisely to the crisis that was at hand. I picture this servant running up to Abigail, completely out of breath. We see that he boldly spoke to her, which showed that he greatly respected her, and Abigail attentively listened to the servant as he told her of what had happened. The servant knew that he could trust Abigail to have a wise response. Abigail carefully and quickly started gathering all this food to feed David and his men, 200 loaves of bread, that's a lot, five sheep ready to be cooked, 100 clusters of raisins. Can you imagine? I don't think I've ever even seen 200 loaves of bread in a large bakery. Thankfully, Abigail understood the urgency of this situation because she knew that David was the man God intended to be king. She valued how he and his men had guarded their flocks, and she realized how angry he was. But I think that she also understood that this was a huge insult to God and his plans, and she realized that she must act. Her quick, wise, and humble response to David here and in the coming verses shows her relationship and dependence she already had on the Lord. Notice how Abigail did not let Nabal's foolish ways define who she was or what she did. Instead, she obeyed what God was directing her to do. God had really big plans for Abigail that day that she probably didn't realize when she woke up. I love that her heart was already prepared and ready to trust God so that she could wisely take action. Now let's read more and see what happens. We'll read verses 20 through 31. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. 
Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation for himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. So in these verses, Abigail showed courage as she rushed to meet David, who was ready for revenge. Remember, David would have felt completely justified in his anger. And he was accompanied by 400 armed men who felt exactly the same way. Remember that the other 200 had stayed behind to guard their belongings. And David was no novice. He was a skilled fighter from years of experience as a shepherd and in battle. I admire how Abigail boldly rode her donkey into a scary situation toward David and his men. Abigail was quite a talented lady. Not only did she manage her household well, which was apparent from the abundance of food available and her good relationship with her servant, but she could also ride a donkey. (laughs) And next, God was going to use her to stop a whole group of angry men from making a terrible mistake. God used Abigail because she followed him and had courage. Let's look at your verse sheet for a truth that must have already been buried deep in Abigail's heart that gave her the courage to go and meet David and his men. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We read that when Abigail and David met each other, that Abigail immediately showed humility and spoke with wisdom. She honored both David and God. Abigail's speech to David is a beautiful masterpiece of wisdom and poetry and truth from God. And she spoke using this imagery um, of shepherds that David would have known and understood. So what if you were told that in two weeks you were going to go make a speech to a very angry man and 400 of his followers and the fate of your household depended on what you said? Would you not work day and night on this speech and make sure it was perfect? Abigail did not have time to prepare a perfectly worded speech, but she spoke confidently because she knew God and his plans. Abigail's humility and wisdom were revealed in her words to David. She very humbly fell at David's feet and bowed to the ground, and she called him her Lord 14 times and referred to herself as her servant. She then claimed guilt for her husband's wrongdoing. Next, Abigail encouraged David to listen and understand. Take a look at your verse sheet at Proverbs 12:15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. 
So try to think back to a time when you were angry and felt very justified in your anger. Would you have been able to listen to someone speaking wisdom to you in that situation? I love how Abigail reminded David of God's promise, protection, and purpose. Let's take just a few moments to carefully and closely look at the important things that Abigail reminded him of. First, in verse 26, she reminded him not to murder and to have to live with the guilt from that and to trust God to avenge him. 1 Peter 3, 9 through 11 on your verse sheet says, Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Abigail then offered David the generous present that she had brought to him. All of this delicious food would have been a huge blessing to these men in the wilderness. And it's interesting, this word present that is used here is used in other places in Scripture when it's referring to a peace offering. Secondly, in verse 28, Abigail pleaded with David for forgiveness, and she reminded David of God's promise to make him a sure house, or in the NIV it says a lasting dynasty, because David would be fighting God's battles. Thirdly, Abigail continued to remind David to be obedient and keep focused on God and his plan, not on David's plan. David followed God and wanted to be obedient to him. But he needed a reminder not to let evil be found in him. Let me read verse 29 in 1 Samuel again. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. Abigail spoke certainly of God's protection and care of David. She poetically did so using symbolism that David would have understood very well. However, it's probably not familiar to us. Um, Shepherds carried two bags or bundles. The first, the bundle of the living, carried their food like cheese and bread and dried fruit, things that were needed to live that they would have kept safe with them. Abigail told David that God would watch over him, care for him, and protect his life like a shepherd would watch over this bundle of food that provided life. The other bundle carried the slingshot and the stones used to protect and defend the sheep. God would both protect and care for David and destroy his enemies. The last part of verse 29 says God will sling out his enemies as from a sling, meaning God would hurl away David's enemies. This picture would have also reminded David of his victory over Goliath that God had given him years before. God is a mighty protector, more powerful than any enemy David might face, and God's plans will prevail. Abigail encouraged David to trust God instead of shedding blood without cause. And finally, Abigail reminded David in verse 30 that God had appointed him prince or leader over Israel. It wouldn't be until he was 30 years old that he would become king over Judah, but God did exactly as he had planned and promised. Abigail spoke to David with great wisdom and discernment, and we need to be wise ourselves, and Abigail's a powerful example of a wise woman. 
So you might be like me and thinking, how do I become wise? I am naturally very good at making unwise decisions. But God offers hope. In James 1.5 on your verse sheet, we learn, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. The word ask here means to ask with urgency or to plead for. This verse is so encouraging because it means that wisdom is for any of us, not just Abigail. The Bible also tells us in Proverbs 1-7 on your verse sheet, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, it's important to understand what fear means in this verse because it doesn't mean cowering in the corner from God. That's not what it's getting at. It means being in awe of God, being reverent toward him and trusting him and remaining devoted to him. We do those things by making him the Lord of our lives through reading his word, praying, obeying, worshiping, serving, pursuing righteousness and holiness, and finding joy and hope in him. We choose to stay with him and depend on him when we face scary or difficult circumstances. Now, I just listed those things as if they're very easy to do. But they're not. If they were, everyone would do them, right? They take discipline and, for me, continue through encouragement. You might consider finding someone like Abigail to be your encourager or speak wisdom in your life, like a wise friend or a mentor that can remind you of these truths. So think back over the incredible wisdom that Abigail used to direct David to the truth and encourage him from sinning against God. She was humble, God-honoring, and spoke God's truth. What a blessing that Abigail was obedient to God. We need to wisely speak God's truth and remember God's promises. Let's read verses 32 through 35. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me, Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. So we see that disaster is averted. David listened to Abigail's wise advice and waited on God to punish Nabal. David realized his sinful thinking and praised God for Abigail's intervention <clears throat> excuse me, to keep him from acting on his anger. Throughout David's life and all through Psalms, David praised God saying that he is great and there is no God like him. David remained faithful to God and saw over and over in his life God doing amazing things for him and through him. Here in 1 Samuel, we see that David was truly thankful that God had used Abigail to spare him from making a terrible mistake with serious consequences. David specifically spoke of Abigail's willingness to go and meet him, and he praised her for her discretion, or other versions say her good judgment, her advice, her good sense. 
David thanked God for keeping him right before God, especially from blood guilt and working out his own justice toward Nabal. In verse 35, David assured Abigail that he had heard and obeyed her voice and that he would not seek revenge against her household. So it was safe to return home. What a relief. Let's not overlook what God did here. God used Abigail's influence to protect David's future and her household. Abigail's relationship with the Lord allowed her to be used in amazing ways. God does wonderful things in our lives when we allow him. So let's read what Abigail does next in verses 36 through 42. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. So Abigail went back home and found Nabal drunk and feasting. Nabal was really living like a king. He was completely oblivious to the power and anger of David and the power and anger of God. He had no idea that his God-fearing wife had courageously stepped in and saved them from certain destruction. The first time I read this story, I thought, surely Abigail is going to march in and tell him about what's happened and maybe say something like, well, while you were here partying, I was out saving us. Did you not notice that there were a few less clusters of raisins at your feast? Well, those are now in the hands of the future King David because I rightly paid him for his service to us and avoided your bloodshed and the, the destruction of our entire household. But Abigail did not do this. Abigail's wisdom and faith in God was again revealed when she waited to speak to Nabal. She said nothing to Nabal until the morning when the effects of the alcohol had worn off. Abigail talked to Nabal and told him what happened. And the text says that Nabal's heart died within him, which commentators speculate that he had a heart attack and a stroke, or maybe he was paralyzed with fear. But regardless, after 10 days, God struck Nabal and he died. We learn from this that we should wait patiently and trust God to execute justice on our behalf. It may be tomorrow, maybe years from now. We may never see or know. God's timing is different for everyone, but we can and should trust God's sovereignty. God did exactly what Abigail had said. God executed justice. God is holy and righteous in his punishment of Nabal. In knowing God, J.I. Packer says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. 
It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. So not only do we see that Abigail waited to speak to Nabal, but with Abigail's advice, David wisely chose to wait on God to handle this situation. Throughout the Bible, we see many verses directing us to wait on God and examples of people who waited on God and were rewarded. We see Daniel who waited 21 days in a situation where God's people needed direction. Jeremiah waited 10 days. And Anna in the New Testament waited in the temple for decades for her Savior Jesus to come. Let's look at your verse sheet at Isaiah 64.4. From old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Because David waited on God, he was rewarded with not having to have that heavy weight of sin on his shoulders. I have learned this lesson in waiting on God in some very big, painful areas of my life, but also in some smaller ones. If you have traveled by airplane recently, you have probably experienced something similar to this. This past summer, our family got the incredible opportunity to get to travel to England for my husband to teach a class. We had scheduled our airline tickets very far in advance because I'm a planner and I like to have everything under control, just like I have planned. The night before our 10-hour flight back home from London, I checked to see what gate that we were leaving from. And I happened to notice that something was horribly wrong. Our carefully pre-selected and pre-paid for seats, you know, you don't get a seat unless you pay for it now, um, all together had been ignored, and the four of us were placed separately throughout the plane. I frantically called British Airways about 11 p.m. Now, you need to know that I love all things British um, completely. So if you ever need a little pick-me-up, just give British Airways a call and make up a question because they are lovely people. <laughs> However, if you call after they've all are nicely tucked in bed, your call gets transferred to India. It's not quite the same experience. So after 30 minutes on the phone using international long distance, I was irritated and in no better shape because this man could not help me. That's what he said. I was acting frustrated toward my family, worrying a ridiculous amount, and wanting to give British Airways a piece of my mind. God convicted me almost immediately when I hung up, and I realized I should have just prayed, waited on God, and gone back to bed. So I regrouped and told God that I trusted him to work it out, and I went to sleep. The next morning, I did not strap on my sword like David, although I did consider doing something like that. We got to the airport and waited in the long line that weaves back and forth to try to figure out some solution. And the woman who helped us was so kind. And when we got to her, she said everything had already been worked out. We were seated together. Now, they were not in our original seats, but we did get reimbursed for those, so that was good. Um, but it still worked out okay, and I did not have that heavy guilt of having approached her counter with an attitude that would have been really dishonoring to God. You know those times where you keep replaying your response in your mind and it just feels terrible? Let's take a moment to think of an area in our lives where we need to trust God. Somewhere that you've been wronged or received an injustice. Sometimes they are little things, just annoyances, and sometimes they are painful, life-altering things. Maybe in your marriage, your work, your family, driving, wherever it is, God cares for us and watches over us. He will execute justice and heal our hearts. We need to seek God in his word frequently to be reminded of his love and care and trustworthiness. 
choosing to trust God to take care of the things the way that only our God in heaven can brings us tremendous peace. I encourage you to give this a try and see that God truly is faithful and so creative in the way he works out things that we face. This story ends with David taking the now widowed Abigail to be his wife. David went on to have other wives, and as Jean Carson, who's an author of a book, says very well, following the example of other royal courts of his time, David had not restricted himself to the monogamous marriage covenant given by God. But please don't get hung up on this and miss the important part of this story. My hope is that you will remember God used Abigail to protect David from disobeying and dishonoring God. Who has God put in your life that you can have influence on like Abigail had on David? Think for a moment what your influence has been on them so far. Praise God for the times that he allows us to be a wise influence. There may be people that God brings to mind that you have an influence out of fear or maybe your influence hasn't been ideal. That's okay because thankfully God is a God of forgiveness, mercy, and love and new chances. We can trust him to make beauty even out of ashes. So with this hope in mind, I encourage you to be in prayer about how you can humbly be used in someone's life to gently direct them with wisdom toward obeying and honoring God. Because ultimately, we want for people to live in peace with God and grow in their relationship with him. And what a blessing it would get to be. It would be to be the one that God uses to bring someone closer to himself. Let's pray. God, you are great. There is truly none like you. There is no God beside you. Thank you that we can come together to study your word. Please help us live our lives closely following you, and we plead with you to fill us with your wisdom. Please use the influence that we have in others' lives for good. Thank you for your love and for the influences that you have put in our lives that have brought us closer to you. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.